What a, what a healing of the soul, this perfection of imperfection. Because this is the spirituality of imperfection. This is a perfect spiritual message being delivered by imperfect people. My hand's up in the air. And you've never asked me to do anything more if I was in the mood and I wanted to, to return the extraordinary favor that was started that day that our friend Jean came over to our house and made a little place for herself in the filth on that table and showed us some kindness and love. Boy, you're strict. (laughs) Well, hello, friends of Bill W. and other friends. You have landed on Sober Speak. My name is John M. I am an alcoholic, and we are glad you are all here, especially newcomers. Newcomers, that is, both to recovery as a whole and newcomers to this podcast. Sober Speak is a podcast about recovery centered around the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. My job here on Sober Speak is simple. My job is to provide a platform to the amazing stories of recovery all around us. Consider Sober Speak, if you will, your meeting between meetings. Please remember, we do not speak for AA or any 12-step community. We represent only ourselves. We are here to share our experience, strength, and hope with those who wish to come along for the ride, take what you want, and leave the rest at the curb for the trash man to pick up. John Michael Jingleheimer Schmidt. I hope I'm saying that right. Uh, Just my friend Brad uh, said that phrase the other day, and uh, I decided it sounded kind of strange, so I put it at the beginning of this here episode. From Studio AA Deep in the Heart of Texas, or should I say Hecko in Tejas. Heco in Tejas, from my understanding, means made in Texas. And I actually saw my friend Curry with that shirt on the other day in a meeting. And so I thought to myself, self, well, sober speak is Heco in Tejas. So you can go ahead and use that on the program. So there's two things to take note of here right on the front of this episode. I guess it is uh, be careful what you're wearing or be careful what you're saying around me because it may <laughs> it may end up on an episode of a of a podcast. But I do like that and I'm probably not saying it right. Heco H E C H O in Tejas, uh, which means for those of you not as learned as myself, that means made in Texas. Anyway, now on to that, ladies and gents, was the voice of Scott Redmond that you heard at the beginning of this here episode number 296. And you are going to hear so much more from him in just a moment. But first things first, this episode, this one right here, number 296 is brought to you by, sponsored by, if you will, Adrian and Marie and David and Kate and Michelle. 
If you're new to the program and you're saying, what in the heck did Adrian and Marie and David and Kate and Michelle do? Well, they went to our website, www.soberspeak.com. That's C-O-M, just in case you're wondering. And they clicked on the little yellow donate tab, and they made a contribution. So thank you so much, Adrian and Marie and David and Kate and Michelle. This here episode is coming right out to Ewan's. Myself, John M., just another bozo on the bus, will be the chairperson for this meeting between meetings. And I am truly honored and privileged to serve all of you listening in. All right, so let's talk here a little bit about Scott Redman. And you may notice that I am saying his last name. And the reason that I am saying his last name is because Scott has ventured on to the big meeting in the sky. Uh, We are calling this AA is a perfect spiritual message being delivered by imperfect people. I love that Scott said that. Uh, Once again, AA is a perfect spiritual message being delivered by imperfect people. I know it's a little bit of a, a mouthful there, but I thought it was important to get all of that in. Scott R. Scott Redman actually came to the group that I attend for the most part. Uh, uh, my the, the group that I uh, attend most of my meetings, I'll put it that way, to the Frisco group uh, to give a talk. And this was, oh gosh, many years ago. I think it was like 15 plus years ago. Uh, I wasn't in the area at the time. I had actually uh, moved away to another state. I took a job out of state. And So I was not able to see him, but he came to one of our little meetings and um, I I was actually able to hear the CD from when he came in. But nonetheless, Scott, it was from California and this is a recording you're about to hear at the 43rd annual Sessions by the Sea Conference in Ocean City, Maryland to Now that I'm saying Ocean City, I'm wondering if Mr. Rich B had something to do with getting him out there. But nonetheless, uh, Scott passed away at the age of 56 uh, in 2008. I used to listen to Scott's tapes while I was traveling around the country with a particular job I had at the time. I remember there were the, the little cassette tapes and Oh, he was just absolutely fantastic. He got me through many long uh, drives and trips. And one of my favorite part of this, of, of the recording you're about to hear is when Scott says, just do your job, right? Just do your job in Alcoholics Anonymous is what he's talking about. Just do what comes next. Just do your job. Um, I love that. I reached out to Mr. Bill C, who has been on this podcast many times in the past. Many of you are going to be familiar with him, Bill C. from California, uh, regarding Scott R., Scott Redman, and I told him that I was going to be putting out a one of Scott's recordings, and uh, I asked him if he wanted to say anything, and Bill says, when I would talk to Scott about any issue in my life or his, he would always say at the end, quote, 
Let's keep this above the horizon and make it a real piece of business, not just talk about it. And then Bill says, I miss Scott every day. And then Bill sent me also a a picture of Scott and uh, Bill's wife, Karen, uh, looked like they were at some sort of picnic or something like that. It was most likely an AA event. And, uh, uh, it was so good to see. I had never actually seen a picture of Scott, and uh, it was good to put a face to the name. But nonetheless, if you hear this and you are interested in leaving a message for Scott's family, I'm going to put this link in the show notes, but uh, you can go to uh, HTTP. It, it's actually scottredman.net. That's S. C-O-T-T, Redman, R-E-D-M-A-N dot net. And once again, I'll put that in there. Uh, and uh, the, the family has their names in there and they say, thank you for celebrating Scott's life with us. Please click post new to share love, Nancy, Micah, and Jesse, which is his family, which you will hear him talking about during this particular episode. All right, everybody. I know you're going to enjoy this. Scott was a, uh, a class, a speaker. He did a lot of great for Alcoholics Anonymous. Enjoy this. And guess what? We will have plenty, oh, and I mean plenty, oh, <laughs> listener feedback at the end of this episode. Enjoy, Scott. My name's Scott Redmond. I'm an alcoholic. Hi, everybody. Can everybody hear me? You all right? Uh, I, I can't thank you enough for inviting me and my wife uh, down to your extraordinary function. We have been rarely treated as well uh, with as much hospitality. What a, what a great function you guys have. And what an extraordinary, welcoming, beautiful group of people. Thank you so, so much. I, I can't tell you how much we appreciate it. And um, I uh, uh, listened to my, my lovely wife give her talk this morning. It's a little upsetting to hear her pathological lying was a little difficult. Uh, and uh, if you heard her talk, I hope that I can repair some of the damage by the time this evening is through. Uh, if you're new, I, I'd like to welcome you to AA. Can I see the hands of people in their first year? Wow. Wow. Uh, yeah. Man, that is the best news in the room, I'm telling you. And if one of those hands went up near you, get them, gang step them, grab them. Talk that endless, unsolicited AA crap to them. Get up right in their nose. Make them wipe their spit, your spit off their glasses, okay? Go get them. Give them that gentle hand of AA. <laughs> uh, if you knew, I'd like to tell you, I've got a great life today. If you knew, I'm sure that just thrills the living crap out of you. I'm sure, uh, <laughs> sure that just excites you because I know I was so happy for the people having a good time when I got here. I, I was just thrilled for them, you know. And I'd sit and I'd hear guys and gals talk about the new car and the new house and the new family. And I'd sit in my seat and I'd think, you know, <clears throat> maybe you'll go home tonight and uh, maybe your house will blow up. <laughs> maybe you'll blow up. And then, and then we'll see how spiritual you are next week. I'd like to thank all the other speakers. Um, 
My friend Brian's here, and I, I love hearing him talk. He uh, uh, reminds me of my family, which is bad news for Brian. I just want to let you know that because my family is just a bag of squirrels. They're just nuttier than 10 pounds of Christmas fruitcake. And, uh, and uh, my family is insane. They were insane. They still are insane. Uh, my wife never believed me about my family until she met them. <clears throat> and uh, my aunt came to an engagement party that had been thrown for us, and she wore her wig backwards. And uh, <laughs> it had a bun on it, you know. And it, uh, um, I, I had I had understated the problem. I had not exaggerated for once. I had understated the problem. And they were just crazy. They, um, um, if you got anything for free in my family, it meant it was stolen. And uh, my, I, <laughs> I had an uncle who was a welder who used to get free bales of steel wool. Because, of course, your employer is going to give you a complimentary bale of steel wool on the way home. And... Um, and my aunt took de a decorating course and made throw pillows and filled all the throw pillows with the free steel wool because it was plentiful in the house and free. That stuff works its way through on you. So when you were at their house, if you looked at the room, everybody was moving a little bit. You know, the whole room was like a pulsing, living, breathing organism. <laughs> and they're still nuts. Uh, a couple of years ago, my mother calls me and says, honey, I've got bad news for you. I said, oh, mom, what? Your Aunt Lena died. I said, oh no, when? A year and a half ago. <laughs> I said, what? She said, well, you know, your Aunt Phyllis is back in the mental institution and she calls me and harasses me, so I stopped picking up the phone, but Phyllis died a couple of weeks ago, so I started answering the phone again and they finally reached me to let me know that Lena had met her maker. And these are the kind of communication skills that we have in, in, in my home. And um, uh, there was chronic institutionalization and suicide attempts and, and uh, mental and physical abuse. And if you're new here, all I've got is good news for you, because my family did not have one single solitary thing to do with making me an alcoholic. I'm not telling you they weren't nuts. <laughs> they were nuts. Um, I went to my aunt's uh, 90th uh, birthday party the other day. She doesn't wear a wig. She let her hair go to its natural blue. And um, uh, the whole cavalcade of nuts was there, you know, and, and, uh, and instead of uh, being an embarrassment to myself and my mom, I went there with a, a nice suit on and put my mom on my arm and, and showed up, you know, to help her celebrate her birthday. And um, if you're new, this might sound really confusing to you because a lot of bad stuff might happen to you. And I'm not saying it didn't happen. But you see, I, by the time I got to Alcoholics Anonymous, I had been in psychotherapy for 18 years. I was going to be dead, but I was going to understand it. And uh, I got no beef with therapy. I'm not. I'm not knocking therapy at all. Therapy is great stuff. I used. I've used therapy a bunch of times in in uh, sobriety. My colossal blunder is I was treating my alcoholism or trying to treat it with psychotherapy, which is like showing up at a gunfight with a knife once a week and just getting this colossal ass pounding. But doing good work. I was going to be dead with no edible conflict, but really, really dead. And um, again, if you're new, this might be confusing when I say that, that my family had nothing to do with my alcoholism, but you see, if, if they had, and again, I'm not telling you you haven't been hurt. I'm not telling you you don't got stuff that needs to get taken care of. But if my family had made me an alcoholic, then I could have gone to therapy, I could have worked out my family problems, and I could have had a drink like a gentleman. I wouldn't have to go to parties anymore and say, oh, no, no heroin for me, I'll have a Perrier. Right? I wouldn't, I could, could have uh, just been like the normal people. 
If you're a drug addict, I'd like to welcome you to Alcoholics Anonymous. If you're a dope fiend, which is somehow worse than any of us, I'd like to welcome you to AA. Uh, uh, I uh, heard a while ago a guy identify as a crack monster. Ooh, that's scary. Crack monster. Ooh. I wonder, is it like a Halloween costume for crack monster? And um, there's a new group uh, that's come to AA. I'm very, very excited about it. I'd like to welcome all the tweakers here tonight. Uh, uh, I'm just so excited you're here. Uh, they stay quick for a while, you know. Uh, they, uh, and... and um, uh, I'm not making fun of you, although I'm coming pretty close. Uh, <laughs> I, <laughs> uh, all I'm saying is catch alcoholism. We'd love to give it to you. I caught alcoholism at AA meetings. I was not an alcoholic when I got here. I, I'm Jewish. Jews don't drink, you know, <laughs> because it might dull the pain, you know, and. Uh, <laughs> Ah, you don't want to waste any agony opportunity, you know. <laughs> so if you don't have the dreaded alcoholism, welcome to Alcoholics Anonymous. We'd love to give it to you. <laughs> I grew up in this uh, nutty house in New York when I was a kid. I'm from the Bronx. No way? Anybody here? Hey, witness protection program? <laughs> and... Um, I had an uncle who was one of the top ten welterweights of the world during the 30s. His name was Izzy Redman. He was concerned about anti-Semitism. He was fighting in Atlanta in 1939, and he had his name changed from Izzy Redman to Izzy Goldberg so that no one would know he was Jewish. Uh, I came from a wily bunch, and, um, and I, I grew up in this nutty family in the Bronx, and... Um, and I had this allergy right from Jump Street. I, I, uh, I, I was introduced to an Old Testament God when I was a kid. I, I, I was forced to go to Hebrew school. And uh, this God got your ass no matter what. He got you. He turned your wife to salt and killed your goat and put a finger in your eye and got your ass no matter what. It didn't matter where you went, how old you lived to. It did not matter. It did not matter. He got your ass. And... Um, <laughs> And uh, I, uh, I was trying to get in with this group of guys in the Bronx, uh, this gang that was stealing cars, and I was being brought, sort of inducted into this group by this guy named George Rosenstein, and the guys were around me in a circle, and George explained, he said, look, we do, we steal Chevrolet, Biscaynes, and Fairlanes. We don't, that's the only car we steal. <laughs> because on the column, the ignition had off, on, and lock. He said, if it's on lock, shine it, get another car. If it's on off, just take your house key, put it in, start the car and off. And I'm, I'm trying to make my bones, you know. So I look at around me. I said, uh, "What if it's on on?" He said, "Someone's in the car, you moron!" <laughs> if it's on on. So I failed Gang 101, and uh, and for me it was like, you know, I got rejected by the resistance, so I joined the Nazis. You know, I just went across the street, and there were the hippies, and there was no test there. You know, they just they let me in, and uh, and I was off and running. And I uh, uh, from from early on, you know, the the uh, the drinking was something that was a little scary to me because I didn't want to be like one of those greasers. So I overcame my alcohol problem with marijuana. Um, I'd like to welcome all the pot smokers here tonight. You you remember Wow, right? Wow. And then right after a wow usually came, what? What? Wow, what, wow, what, wow, what, what? 
Watching a pot smoker is like watching a dog try to run on linoleum. There's, there's like a lot of activity, but no movement. I, uh, <laughs> I was victorious over uh, marijuana with pills. I uh, triumphed over pills and, and uh, uh, with cocaine. Uh, cocaine is an excellent drug. It's particularly good for sex if you enjoy sex from the Neolithic period. Um, and uh, I, uh, I conquered that Galdon cocaine with heroin. Heroin's a very dark, complicated, artistic drug. Then you uh, cross a line and become a vomiting pig. It's just a little hop, skip, and a jump. And, uh, and then I drank till I didn't want to be a drunk. And alcohol was on the table every day. And um, I was in my early 20s. I had slammed some junk. And I uh, went to hitchhike down from the Bronx back down to Manhattan. And my aunt and uncle pulled up, put me in the car. My father had had a massive stroke. And I was taken to the hospital. And I, I couldn't show up for my old man. I... I uh, the curtain was down. The sound of the heart machine couldn't even get through. And I uh, failed and collapsed as a son and a man and a brother. And uh, my father was lost to me. I couldn't think about him. I couldn't talk about him. I couldn't even look at a picture of him. But I knew what was wrong. I knew what was wrong that day, and I knew exactly how to solve it. The problem had been heroin and needles. And as long as I never did it again, I'd be all right. And I never did it again, not for 13 years. I just drank till I didn't want to be a drunk and watched my life run out between my fingers like a handful of water over and over and over again. I never understood I had an allergy. I never understood that this physical allergy was sparking a bizarre kind of cyclical thinking that would drive me to take a drink that would ignite the allergy that would cause a spiritual tapeworm to become present in me that ate me up from the inside and left me hollow and insane and alone. And it did it. And, and, you know, the funny thing is, is even as a young man, and I was sort of vaulting myself into my history of chronic success, um, uh, that I, I didn't understand that this tapeworm could dry up and just just go completely dormant for a while. It's like they, they got this fish in Africa that can dry up and die, and then the rains come again, and it becomes reinvigorated. Hi. You know, that's, that's, my, that's my insides. And uh, I, I, I didn't, didn't know what alcoholism was, certainly didn't know that I had it. Uh, shortly after uh, my father's death, I uh, was, uh, reached one of my dreams. I reached one of my dreams a lot in my life. And one of my dreams was to act on Broadway. I was a kid who grew up in the Bronx. Uh, I was very attracted to that world. And, I, you know, I'll be damned if I didn't get to do it. And I was acting in a Broadway play. Uh, a new usherette walked in with long brown hair. I took one look at her. I didn't even talk to her. I walked back in the dressing room, stood up on a chair, and said, if anybody talks to the new usherette with long brown hair, I'll break all the tiny bones in your hands and feet. So Nancy kind of, every time she'd walk near a guy, he'd kind of go, <laughs> and dash away. And, um, and uh, my wife and I just, I, I just fell in love with this woman. She was exotic to me. She was from Detroit. And, uh, and, man, I thought there were like palm trees in Detroit. I had never been out of the Bronx, you know. And, um, and, and we just, the earth opened up beneath us. And we had a great time. We were living in arguably one of the most exciting places in the known universe to live. I was acting on Broadway. We were in our early 20s. We didn't know that we were just a couple of dogs trying to run on linoleum. We were going nowhere fast. But we went there fast, you know. And um, Nancy became very ill from prolonged exposure to me. Um, 
I remember one time we had these big uh, 32-ounce tumblers in the house, and I came home and I popped a cork on a bottle of wine, and I emptied the entire bottle of wine into one of these cups. And I turned around, and my wife was uh, giving me the pre-Alanon rat face. You know, this one. I said, what? She said, what are you doing? And I looked at her, you know, seriously. I said, I'm having a glass of wine. Can a man have a glass of wine in his home? Are we civilized people? Um, we became so sick together that at one point a guy lent us his car and we sold the car. I will never forget this guy's voice as long as I live. He said, you sold my car? I, I, that's like house sitting for somebody and they come back and you're in escrow. What do you mean you saw? <laughs> well, what had happened was, it was the end of the month. We didn't have rent. Big duh there. The alcoholic life becomes the only normal one. I looked into my wife's eyes. I said, honey, I am so sick of being a loser. I am so sick of being an irresponsible punk kid. All right? That's it. We're not, let, let's not borrow money. Let's do the right thing. Let's sell the car. <laughs> and my wife looked at me with tears in her eyes and said, let's do that's where we wound up. When I called this guy 16 years later to pay him back, his voice was exactly the same. He said, you're paying me back? It was like he was frozen on that end of the phone the whole time. <laughs> we were living in New York and our older son Michael was born. And we were surrounded by friends and family. We had a ton of phone calls, lots of flowers. And two years and nine months later, when Jesse was born, there were no flowers, no phone calls, no family. We had been completely isolated by the disease of alcoholism in just two years and nine months. And it wasn't because people didn't love us. The ice around our heart had become so thick, it had just repelled everybody. And um, Jesse got sick. He had something wrong with his heart, and they put him up in an incubator. And my wife's all alone in the room, and a doctor who I had never met before called me on my house that night and said, Mr. Redmond, your wife's under tremendous psychological duress. The baby's sick. We need you down here. And I said to this doctor, look, I, I'd love to come down, but I can't find anybody to watch my two-year-old son. And the doctor, who I had never met before, said, I'll tell you what, I'll give you my address and my phone number. My husband's home. Why don't you take your son over to my house, and my husband will watch him for you. And I said, no. There was no way that I could accept this woman's remarkable generosity. This is a doctor, somebody I didn't even know, who made that kind of personal offer. It's pretty remarkable. But I think what would have happened is I would have had to take a moment to look at my life one more time. How does this happen? How do you have, this is when you're supposed to be in the middle of your community. Now. Now. And we were, we had been completely isolated. And what was worse, of course, is we didn't know why. I mean, it says it in our book. If you ask an alcoholic why they've taken that drink again, no matter the attendant misery and suffering that follows every single time, if they don't blow you off, if they don't slough you off, if they stick with you, odds are they have no more idea than you. And the same thing with the lifestyle. If you can take a minute of stopping blaming people, stopping being terrified, if you can have a moment of clarity, odds are you'll have no more idea of why this has happened than anybody else. And... Um, Little or we didn't know, it was to continue for three more years. That horrible, horrible place that we had wound up. You know, I love reasons to drink. I collect them. My favorite reason to drink, I have, I have a friend named Larry. The first time he ever read our book, he read the first page of the, the fourth chapter, which contains a sentence which says, Facing an alcoholic death or a spiritual life is not always an easy decision to make. And the first time that Larry ever read that, he said to himself, 
Well, how bad an alcoholic death are we talking about here? <laughs> That's not a normal thought. That's not something a normal person would think. But that's where my thinking will go. That's where my thinking will go today if I don't treat my alcoholism. Um, last year I had surgery on my hand. I'm 15 years sober. The doctor says to me, Mr. Redmond, you're going to need to general anesthetic. I said, oh, general anesthetic, general anesthetic. Oh, wow. <laughs> Normal people don't get excited about general anesthetic. They don't. I'll tell you why. You're generally anesthetized for general anesthetic. You're asleep. But you see, I know some, and you know it too. When they give it to you, they say, count backwards from 100. And you go, 100, 99, and then you hit the app, right? I love 99. And apparently... You love 99, too. <laughs> By the way, the huge gapping wound I just gave myself in the forehead, I did it for you newcomers. I just want to let you know. I gave my blood for you tonight. Actually, it's a screen-shaped scar. Favorite reason to drink I've ever heard came from a guy. I, I've been sponsoring this guy for about 15 minutes. And... Uh, he uh, lived with his wife. He was a male prostitute, and he had a gay lover. And he called me to tell me that he drank. And I said, oh, why? <laughs> and he said, uh, I caught my wife cheating on me. <laughs> now, <laughs> now, I'm telling you, I completely understand that. I absolutely understand. That was, <laughs> that was the product of one of two processes. That was either, look, just boom. He needed to come up with something, and there it was, a polished gem, fully cut cloth, back. Or that was the product of weeks in the rat's maze. Weeks on the hamster wheel. Weeks of cutting and pasting reality. Of shifting the whole universe so we can just slide in slot by slot. I know I'm married. I know I'm a hooker with a beeper. I know I've got a gay lover. But the bitch cheated on me. I'm out of here. <laughs> I get that absolutely and completely. It was the same reason I was able to sell that car to do the responsible thing. Okay, it's for the same reason that I love dental surgery. Dental surgery is an uninterrupted source of narcotics for a period of time. The best thing in the world when I was drinking is for somebody to tell me I needed dental surgery. And I'll tell you why. I leave out the middle. I go from, you're going to have dental surgery, to painkiller. I leave out the surgery. I leave out the whole middle. I leave out the pain, the sutures, the blood. I leave out the whole middle. So when I did the car, I left out Grand Theft Auto. I just went to, let's be responsible, sell the car. I leave, I leave out Forge the Pink Slip, look behind you for weeks every day that the cops aren't watching you. I leave out the middle. If you're new here, welcome to the middle, all right? Uh, you're going to hear a lot of talk about the middle. They're obsessed with the middle. Um, and... Uh, Jesse came into our life, and it was a, a real sad, broken home by that time. Uh, my careers had um, grinded to a halt. I had a ghostwriting job, which was sort of befitted my life at that time. We were living in Los Angeles by that time, and uh, 
About a month before I got sober, I put my arm around my wife, and I think she felt my accelerated breathing, and I heard it just come out of her like a breath. It wasn't deliberate or anything. I heard her say, you disgust me. And I didn't argue with her about it, and I didn't get mad about it, because I knew it was true, and I knew I felt the same way. And um, Micah and Jesse were just a, a wreck. By the time we got to the program, um, Micah was making these involuntary clicking noises with his throat he couldn't stop making. He was reading and writing years below his grade level. His small motor skills were all screwed up. He couldn't focus on anything, and there was nothing organically wrong with him. He was just scared all the time. Jesse was in preschool, and his behavior was so alarming because he, he was playing these war games and these robot games that he just simply couldn't stop playing. He couldn't come back. And it just, you know, I think it's because it was just safer to be made out of metal. It just hurt too much to be a person. And his teachers were really alarmed about the way he was comporting himself. Uh, 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 that kind of play is wonderful for a child, but when they can't, they can't control the war that's going on in their head, which for me was just an internalization of the horrible war that he was living in the middle of. And um, if you get in between me and the drink, if you're my child, if you're my lover, if you're my bride, if you're my dreams, eventually you will disappear or you will turn into paper mache. You will either evaporate or you will turn into something less than human because I either have to walk around you or I have to walk through you. And if I walk around you, I'll have to walk bigger and bigger circles because it hurts too much to see you and my life just becomes this completely circuitous mess. Sound and fury signifying nothing. And, it be, and when you hit it, it makes a terrible, hollow sound. And that's where I was by the time April 22, 1985 rolled around when I crossed the line I swore I would never, ever cross again. I swore I would never put a needle in my arm again because if I did, I'd be the guy who couldn't show up the night his old man died. And I hadn't done that for 13 years, but I did it again. Why? Why not? And the gift to me, the touch of the master's hand to me, is that I just didn't move the world that day to make it okay to put a needle in my arm again. I don't know why, I couldn't tell you, but I didn't. I didn't turn the world again. I called my therapist of record in my 18th year of psychotherapy. I told him what I had done, and he said to me, he was a new therapist, he said to me, I didn't know this at the time, the exact same thing that the man who 12-stepped the man who 12-stepped Bill Wilson was told by Carl Jung. He said to me, there's absolutely nothing that can be done for you. I can't help you. I said, what? He said, I can't help you. There's nothing I can do. The only thing I can suggest is you attend a meeting of Narcotics Anonymous, Alcoholics Anonymous, or we have you institutionalized. Now, why I didn't go to the institution, I don't know. Most other days... Fine with me. I'd be with my people, colorful and adventurous people, you know. Uninterrupted source of narcotics in the Nut Hut. They give you good dope there and lots of it. Just hush, hush. And, uh, but I didn't. I went to one AA meeting. I came home, poured myself a glass of wine. My wife said, honey, are you supposed to drink in AA? I said, absolutely. Uh, uh, they're not, they're not, uh, uh, they're not fanatics. They're civilized people. Uh, you, <laughs> you just can't get drunk, but you can drink <laughs> if it's uh, a full-bodied Chablis. And, uh, of course, two days later, I went to my first AA meeting, and I uh, put on my best clothes and got a bad check to write you and went to this place, a little clubhouse in the San Fernando Valley in L.A. called Unit A. And I walked into this clubhouse and took one look around, and I just could not believe it. 
it looked to me like the, like a thousand years of inbreeding in this one room. I mean, it just was unbelievable. Everyone had one tooth with a cavity in it. Uh, and I, what do I do? I bring my own bib overalls next week? Am I issued a pair? What, what what's the deal here? And it, it was just Clem and Martha, you know. And I just. Oh my God! Alcoholics Anonymous. Alcoholics Anonymous. How did I wind up in Alcoholics Anonymous? How lame is this? This is beyond lame. This is beyond church, beyond synagogue. This is some plateau of lameness I never even imagined was available to me. Alcoholics Anonymous. And they get right up in your face. You know, you know the guy they send over. He's usually got like a belt buckle large enough to serve a whole fish on, right? <laughs> Do I want what you've got? No. No. But thanks for spitting on me. I really appreciate it. I'll come back next week. We'll hook a rug. When's the arts and crafts start? And I'm waiting for the Jew hunt to start. You know, I know that's going to come out every minute. You know, any minute. Come on, Jaime. Strap these antlers on, you know. Let's poke him with a hot stick. You know, knock his beanie off. Let's see him run. Um... And everything was a miracle. Miracle, 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 miracle. I'm a miracle. You're a miracle. The furniture and coffee are miracles too. (laughs) Oh, my God in heaven. The only reason that I think I stayed, the only reason that I can imagine that I stayed, because I hated it was that I was out of plans. If you're new here, I pray for you that you are out of plans. If you're new, if you have a plan, it's probably a butte. (laughs) Don't use your plan. (laughs) Grab one of us after the meeting and tell us your plan. We want to know the plan. My favorite newcomer plan, the single most utilized in my experience, is the one more dope deal to set myself up financially for sobriety plan. Um, That's out there. It's going to wind up on the soft literature rack eventually, I believe. And I stuck around the A&A. And I stuck around for six months. My wife had reached out to the Al Anon family groups and started pursuing her. Miracle, and we both say this, it's just incredible. I saw it in her and she saw it in me. I never saw it in myself. I saw a miracle in her, you know. She was talking about this this morning. It's just extraordinary. Uh, she was like a health food freak with our kids, and she'd give them granola and then put them in the car with Dr. Death, me. And um, <laughs> we had this, uh, these, uh, did I cut out? Is that an acid flashback? What happened? No, nothing? What do you want to do? <laughs> you think it's this? What? What? Is that any better? Can we get the signing lady back up? <laughs> you can, can you hear me? Nothing, right? Nothing. Okay, talk amongst yourselves. I want you to do some 12-step work with each other now. Can we get Dick Martin? Can you pass out some of my tapes? <laughs> I'm Scott. I'm an alcoholic. A couple of Al-Anons up front when it went dead, it said that's because he was lying. <laughs> can you hear me now? No? How? Can you hear me now? 
Is that all right? All right. Hi, guys. I was born in the Bronx. Uh, uh, <laughs> Wouldn't it be great now if I just told a completely different story? I was a small Polynesian woman when I got sober. And uh, now I'm an overweight Jewish guy, and uh, this is what sobriety's done for. <laughs> Had to be the Midtown group doing that wave. Had to be, right? That's an anabolic AA group, all right? I love you guys. Um, man. Wow. It's a problem in our marriage. <laughs> I hated Alcoholics Anonymous. I hated it, man. I wasn't having any fun at all. I, I'd sit in meetings looking like I got a dental drill on each tooth, you know? I just hate, you know those people who come just, they come pissed off, they stay pissed off, they leave pissed off. And I just was part of the frozen chosen, man. I was not having a good time, you know? And um, because I thought that maybe, maybe it would not require this obnoxious abstinence thing that you read about tonight. That, that total abstinence idea? What is that, you know? Um, it seemed uh, crazy and unnecessary to me. And um, my wife had reached out to the Alana family group. She had this extraordinary sponsor named Ruby with a great husband named Milton. And we used to go to parties at their house, man. And there'd just be a 50, 60 Alanons and AAs having a great time, yucking it up, eating a lot of food. And I'd stand off by the side, still felt just radioactive, you know. And our kids had all these terrible rules because when you can't control anything, you got to control something. And the kids get these insane rules in the middle of Armageddon. You're saying, don't lose your mittens. You know, it's just absolutely bananas, you know. And Milton, pardon my French, Milton called the boys over one day. Micah was six and Jesse was three. Milton called them over and bent down and said, boys, your parents don't know shit. <laughs> and the boys went, oh, thank God, you know, we suspected, but we didn't confirm it, you know. And, Man, we, they had a confirmation, and they loved it. They loved to hear that, you know, that, that, that we didn't know. We didn't know, you know. And um, Nancy and I just, we just wanted to get away from each other. I used to sit up at night, and she'd be asleep, and I'd look at her juggler vein pulsing, and I'd think, can't I just hold my finger down on it? I mean, can't, what, what, what can we just do to end this misery? We just, we, we really had become so sick and loathed each other so much that um, we, and, and I, one of my first friends in AA was this woman, Jean, who Nancy was talking about this morning, and we loved her so much, and she was so excited about our recovery, neither one of us had the heart to tell Jean that we were getting divorced. So we go, you tell her, I'm not going to tell her. And neither one of us was, I think we stayed together for five months because we were too scared to let Jean down. Um, and Jean uh, uh, is a friend of ours today. And... Um, I, uh, I stayed sober for six months, and I knew I was going to drink. I had seen the AA drill happen hundreds of times in just six months. People came in, they did the work, they changed, and they stayed sober. People came in, they didn't do the work, they got sicker, they got sick, and then really sick. Then they got to the podium, shared their gift with us, and shared their ass right out of the door, or stayed here and became columns of human sewage and sexual predators, although I judge no man. Um, <laughs> Because I'm, I'm just too spiritually developed to judge anybody. And uh, so <laughs> I, uh, I knew I was going to drink because I was receiving uh, drinking, got a round of applause. 
Oh, the sound went off. Wow. That was a flashback. That was something. Are we online? Everybody online now? Great. Start over. <laughs> I was brought up in the Bronx. And, um, uh, and I saw the miracle of the program present itself in the fact that my children had become a little less frightened and Nancy really was, something was happening to her, you know. And um, so I asked the guy to sponsor me. He was a good guy, uh, happy a lot of the time, and uh, sponsored a lot of guys. I, felt, I, I found this guy very attractive. I asked him to sponsor me. He made sure I had done some reading from the big book of AA. He uh, uh, invited me over to his house and he had spent hours with me for fun and for free. He took me through the he read chapter five with me and he read, took me through the first two steps. We reached step three. We said a prayer together on our knees. We went back and he gave me instructions on how to do a fourth step for the big book of AA. And, and I'm not telling you I had a burning bush experience, but I will tell you I stopped feeling like I was stealing someone's chair here. I'd been going to uh, step studies, you know. Whenever I go to a step study and someone shares and they say, "Well, I've never worked this step, but..." I always think, but what in God's name will you be talking about then? I, I, I don't quite understand. It's like saying, well, I'm not a doctor, but I'd like to tell you all about your rash. I, I just, uh, I don't quite get it, but again, I judge no man, and you know that because I keep repeating it. Um, so uh, I did my inventory. It took me three months. I went back and I read it to him when I was nine months sober. I did steps six and seven for the first time, which have become sort of my working template, my operating sort of device for my relationship with God, and then I had to do my eight-step list. I try to share this anytime I talk, because it's the best reading of step eight I've ever heard. And I heard it from a guy at my old home group. His name was Nino. Uh, I've never seen him since. This was over 13 years ago, and I, I, and I had never seen him before. He had a heavy New York accent. He was there with a recovery group uh, from a hospital. He had hospital plastic on, and he had never read chapter five before. And he got up to step eight, and he read made a list of all those we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Jesus Christ! <laughs> and he looked out into the room as if to say, have you seen this? Do you know what's in here? And I'm just telling you, that's the only thing I saw on the list. When I looked at the steps, I didn't see anything else. No, no, not that money. I, look, I would not have taken that much money if I knew I had to give it back. <laughs> right? No way, no way, if you had said to me at that time. Not the car. And um, my wife and my kids and my dad had to go on the list, and I didn't know what I was going to do about any of that because uh, I couldn't apologize to my dad the way a lot of people do, and it works for them. People go to the grave and they have a talk. People write a letter, and it works for a lot of people. It works for a lot of guys I sponsor, and it didn't work for me. I didn't get it, and uh, I didn't know what I was going to do. I didn't know what I was going to do with Nancy and the boys. What the hell am I going to do? Sit down with my wife and say, sorry about this eight-year journey to Hades. Okay. <laughs> I, <laughs> or say to the boys, sorry you've got no life. I... I uh, I didn't know what I was going to do, and my sponsor, God bless him, uh, I don't know if he did this with all the guys he sponsored, but it was the perfect thing for me. He would not tell me how to make amends. He said, do your job. Do your job in Alcoholics Anonymous and see what happens. And as a result, I had to wind up doing a lot of really lame crap. I had to 
go to and be a, a, a classroom dad and show up and, and uh, run reading groups for my kids' second grade class. I had to uh, show up for flag football in Little League. I had to do a lot of lame, 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 lame stuff, you know. And um, uh, I had to do some really embarrassing stuff. We had to go into school and talk about our, the shape our kids were in and say, you know, He's really ill because we've been really ill and we're getting better and we need help. Can you help us? You know, never once as a member of Alcoholics Anonymous have I ever gone to anybody in the program or outside of the program genuinely asked for help, not to bully people, but to ask for help. Not once have I been told no. People really want to help you. They really do when you go in that, with that spirit. And they wanted to help us. And our kids, they cut loose all sorts of, of uh, resources for our sons. You know, they, took, they said, get him in a music, get him in a, because the small motor skill stuff was so screwed up, get him involved in, in sports. And we did. We had, you know, I spent 40 bucks of cocaine money on the Little League registration. I spent $20 of alcohol money on, on some equipment. You know, I, I went and I bought Jesse a drum pad. I, I, I was so proud of myself. I took 10 bucks of booze money and spent it on this. He wanted to play drums. I bought him this little, it's a little rubber pad made out of wood and rubber and a pair of sticks. And I went to my home group and I bragged about it because that's what I'm supposed to do. And the guys, you know, and like within two weeks, the AA drum set showed up, you know. Uh, he, you know, there were a lot of burnout drummers in my group at that time. So guys, guys are like showing up with cymbals going, dude. And, uh, 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 <laughs> and like within two weeks, Jesse had a drum set so big that when he sat behind it, you couldn't even see him. And uh, Micah, the AA keyboard showed up. And last February, my sons played the House of Blues together and burnt the dump to the ground. Burnt it up, you know. And over on the side was the obligatory group of over 40 alcoholics crying. You know, there's this, this room packed with hip-hop, a hip-hop audience just flipping out, going, what is with those old crying guys, man? What, what is that all about? But it's guys that, uh, that have known and loved our sons forever. And um, Nancy and I uh, released each other with love uh, so thoroughly that we uh, needed an APB uh, to find one another again. And um, I, uh, we really, really left each other alone. And about five years into sobriety, uh, we really had to start coming together again and start uh, finding a way to let each other know how we felt and what we wanted without telling each other what to do. And as always, you see, my children have been great teachers for me. I, I, they've been great mirrors. And if you're new here, I don't put a premium on that. I don't care if your houseplant or your pet was the thing that mirrored your disease and brought you closer to a higher power. It doesn't matter what the instrument is. That was the instrument that has always been the instrument for me, you know. I, I was sober a couple of years, and I was making my son's lunch, and I said to Micah, what, you, what do you want on your hot dog? And he said, I want mustard, onions, and lettuce. And I went, lettuce? And he said, oh, okay, I don't want lettuce. And he walked away, and he came back about 45 minutes later, and he looked at me directly in the eyes, and he said, I will never again allow your opinion of what I want affect what I ask for. <laughs> so I asked him to sponsor me at that point. <laughs> What is that? A couple of years after that, Jesse broke his wrist in a schoolyard accident. And he uh, broke it in a growth plane, which the way kids develop, that's cartilage that'll turn to bone. And once it's set, it can't be disturbed. It's real serious, you know. 
But they're brothers, so they're beating the crap out of each other, you know, two minutes after I get them home. And I had to get right up into Micah's face and let him know that this was something I couldn't repeat ten times. It had to not happen. I yelled at him. I said, you can't do this. You can't mess with your brother. That's it. Well, what if he don't? It doesn't matter. And he walked away from me and he slammed the door to his room. Slammed the door to his room. I got the dead tick going now. You know, he slammed the door. Let's go see about that slam door. So I go to the door and I open the door. And before I can unload on him, he says, hold it, hold it. I didn't say you were wrong out there. You were right. But a big guy just got in my face and screamed and yelled at me. You were wrong. Don't tell me that I can't be mad. What's that? What the hell is that? That's what he has watched his mother and I try to do with varying degrees of success and failure with the help of a higher power. To try to tell somebody how we feel without telling them what to do. What does this have to do with sobriety? Absolutely nothing unless you're going through it. Absolutely nothing unless you're living in a house where you realize that you're scared of the person who should be the closest human being to you in your whole life. Nothing except if I don't stay comfortable, if this does not continue to be a pleasurable experience for me, despite the problems, if I don't talk about having problems in my 15th year of sobriety, if I don't do that, I can't possibly elicit the, the help that I need from you guys. And if I don't elicit the help, then I'm going to stop allowing myself to be sponsored, and then I can become a circuit drinker, and I'll live happily ever after. You know, But the, the people that have been so useful to me in Alcoholics Anonymous are the people who have hit those dead ends with their relationships, the fear with their kids, this crushing feeling of not being able to breathe at work, and have brought it to the table with their higher power, developed new spiritual tools, worked the steps, never stopped sponsoring, never stopped allowing themselves to be sponsored, and their lives get bigger and bigger and bigger. And it's funny, if I continue doing 12, and I stop doing this other stuff, the basic, what are the first five propositions in the book, they're the doorway to love. How can I continue working the first three steps in my life in the area of work, of relationship, of love, of sex, of all this stuff? Because otherwise, the foundation shrivels, the top gets real big, there's nothing to hold it up, and it just cracks and smashes. How did he drink? He was talking every week. How did he drink? He was sponsoring all of Minnesota. How did he drink? It was working for everybody except for him. My sponsor passed away for a few months ago, uh, an extraordinarily uh, remarkable man. And um, I, made, I made amends to my father years ago when I, it started the day that I showed up for a guy who I was sponsoring when he died. And uh, a couple of months ago, when my sponsor was in the hospital and I went to visit him, and um, I went, and the, the nurse took his... Uh, his, his blood pressure and it went a little up and he pointed to me and he said, he excites me. <laughs> and um, and um, we sat in that room together and we told each other uh, how much pleasure we got from our relationship, how much pleasure we got from challenging each other spiritually and growing together. And I felt the presence of, of my dad as powerfully as I've ever felt it. Uh, a bunch of years ago, I realized that my sons had no relationship with my father because I was so ashamed of him and so ashamed of myself that I wouldn't even allow a picture of him in my house. So I started having pictures of him and telling stories about him, and I, uh, and I got free. 
If you're new here, I don't know what your black hole is. I don't know what you're walking in here with. If you strangled a puppy, we got a guy who has strangled two puppies. I guarantee you. We got a bigger puppy strangler than you, okay? (laughs) We're not going to play can you bottom this, but we can. It's really a waste of time. If we need to do it so that you'll identify, we'll do it. We'll take, we'll get the guy out. Get out the puppy strangler. Get him out here. We need, we need him again. There's somebody who's too horrifying for AA. And if you knew, welcome. You know, we've gone from two to two million in 65 years. We're two million. We're in 150 countries. We have 128,000 groups. But I'm sure this isn't going to work for you. <laughs> Our sons have had a lot of problems, just like us. We've had a lot of problems too. Uh, one of my sons could be a uh, alcoholic. Um, a bunch of years ago, I came home from, uh, I talked at an AA meeting, I think I saved everyone in Covina that particular evening, and I came home and he was having a bad acid trip, and uh, I threw my arms around him and told him it was a pill that was going to wear off, and I wouldn't leave him, and I called a member of AA, who was a psychiatrist, who got some medication for him, and another member of AA went and got the medication and brought it back, and I said to the psychiatrist, thanks for your help, good night, and he said, oh no, I'm not going to sleep till Micah goes to sleep, and he stayed up until Micah went to bed. You guys never told me my kids wouldn't have problems. You told me I'd never be alone again. I couldn't find anybody to watch him the night that his brother was sick in in the hospital. But the night that Micah was sick and needed help, Alcoholics Anonymous was all over him. Two years ago, one of the guys I sponsor called me up and said, we're going to have our second baby. Can you watch my two-year-old son? (laughs) And... Jesse was with me, and me and Jesse took care of him, and Jesse was the child who I couldn't go down to the the hospital and and take care of. You put my hand in my son's pocket, and you put his hand in God's pocket. And that's the way it's worked in our house. Nancy and I, uh, if we uh, stay together a couple more months, we'll celebrate 25 years of sobriety uh, together. uh, 25 years of marriage. Sobriety, no. Uh, And... uh, if you're new, I'm sure you're thrilled for us, and uh, uh, and I just want to tell you, I don't believe that we're that God likes us more than the people who got divorced. That's just what's happening in my house. That's just what's happening in our house. My God expects me to do my job in Alcoholics Anonymous if Nancy and I stayed married or if we had gotten divorced. It's better for a lot of people to get divorced. That's just what happened in our house. You know, so our kids are doing okay right now. Some kids are dead or dying from alcoholism or are in prison. That's not because God likes us better. It's just what's happening in our house. You know, I, uh, we got creamed in the Northridge earthquake. Just whacked. We were right in the epicenter. And uh, it hit that night. Nancy claims that I left a footprint on her forehead getting out of bed. I, I, but she's got this problem with the truth. And, uh, Terrible, absolutely terrible. Shortly after we were at this uh, function, this AA function out of town, <clears throat> and this woman comes up to me and says, she used to live in L.A., she says, oh, I'm so glad God got us out of L.A. before the quake. I said, so he likes you, but we're crap, but he likes you. And she said to me, I guess he just felt you had some lessons to learn. <laughs> I just got to tell you right now, I'm out of here. If I got a guy up there, like, get the Redmond boy, get him. No evacuation plan for you, Jew boy, get him. I'm out of here. I don't want to have anything to do with that world. <coughs> I couldn't stay sober in that world. That world is, it, that, that God is keeping her sober. It wouldn't do anything for me. 
I would like to see her after her next lesson, but I, I do. <laughs> Um, I had to get a God, uh, for me, big enough so that a lot of things got to take place in his world and I didn't get to drink. And uh, a lot of the stuff on my inventory, a lot of stuff uh, about persecution, a lot of stuff about bigotry, uh, was the kind of stuff that could have kept me apart and special and, uh, and kept me drunk and dead. Um, I was talking down in um, Greenville, Mississippi a couple of years ago. And I witnessed down there something that uh, I've witnessed many, many times in Alcoholics Anonymous. This particular time, it had a profound effect on me. My host down for this function that I was at was a guy who was a child of the 60s, much like myself, who had fought uh, in the civil rights movement down south for years. And the civil rights movement in his community was, in fact, a failure. It had not worked. Uh, the institutionalized segregation had turned into uh, personal and, and, and private segregation. The, there was white flight from the public schools, and the school board started uh, voting money away from the public schools. It was a disaster. We have no uh, uh, opinion on outside interests. The reason why I'm, I'm telling you this tonight is because that guy who told me about this nightmare in his life walked into his first Alcoholics Anonymous meeting in Greenville, Mississippi, and for the first time in his life saw African Americans and white Americans loving each other, hugging each other, sponsoring each other, waking up in the middle of the night for, for each other. And this was, this was a community that was completely, virtually, at least on a public level, devoid of this kind of behavior. What a deal. What a deal. What a, what a healing of the soul, this perfection of imperfection. Because this is the spirituality of imperfection. This is a perfect spiritual message being delivered by imperfect people. My hand's up in the air. And you've never asked me to do anything more, if I was in the mood and I wanted to, to return the extraordinary favor that was started that day that our friend Jean came over to our house and made a little place for herself in the filth on that table and showed us some kindness and love. Boy, you're strict. <laughs> if you're new, I'd like to welcome you to Alcoholics Anonymous. And I'd like to tell you the good news and the bad news. <clears throat> the, uh, the good news is that our problem mainly rests in our mind. Because if not, then that wonderful line in our text, you see, our text says we absolutely insist on enjoying life. There's no sentence in any other book about recovery from a fatal illness that says we absolutely insist on enjoying life. There's no book about cholera that says cholera is a hoot. You'll love cholera. It's fabulous. You'll meet other people with cholera. It's and, Oh, you'll meet people who just caught cholera. It doesn't get any better than that. <coughs> That's a war. Is there any water in and the bad news is, is uh, the problem mainly rests in our mind. Because alcoholics, thank you, that's great. Um, alcoholics are having problems that people with other fatal illnesses are not having. Uh, a bunch of years ago, thanks. A bunch of years ago, I met a guy at a meeting, and um, he... Uh, I met him, I hung out with him a little bit. I went home and he called me and he talked to me for an hour. And uh, during the hour he explained to me that he had been stalking several women and he had a restraining order taken out against him, but it's all different because he's two weeks sober now and it's all different. 
And then at the end of the hour, he said to me, I, I feel so alone. And I said to him, I hardly even know you. And I just listened to you for an hour without interrupting. What do you mean you feel alone? And he said, well, I mean, I don't have a woman. And I said, what, what exactly would you be bringing to a relationship right now besides stalking skills? What, 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 what exactly are you bringing to the table right now? People two weeks into remission from leukemia are not having dating problems. Alcoholics are. <clears throat> a couple of years ago, our son Michael was babysitting for a couple on the program. <clears throat> and uh, this guy said to my son, what do you think of hearing your dad talk in AA? And Michael said, I don't really care much about it. I, I, I'm not a member of the program, and I, I really don't have any opinion on it. He said, all I can tell you is since I'm a very, very little boy, the men and women of Alcoholics Anonymous and Al-Anon have taken very, very good care of me, and never once has any of them demanded that I believe what they believe. What an extraordinary thing. Yeah, and that's for you. That's a compliment for Alcoholics Anonymous and Al-Anon. What, if, if, if we did what, what Dr. Bob suggested that we do, which is boil down all the 12 principles, he said you will wind up with their essence, which is love and service. What an extraordinarily perfect expression of it, especially in this time of, of, of spiritual propriety, of bullying. How many times have we seen spiritual weapons, uh, uh, spiritual principles used as spiritual weapons? I'm, I'm convinced that the, 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 the main way that the big book of AA is much, the, much like the Bible is that you can take any sentence from it and use it to prove virtually any point you want to make. You know, it's all in the eyes and the hands of the beholder. And, uh, and, and that beautiful expression, that beautiful compliment for you was expressed by our son uh, based on his practical knowledge, his practical experience of being a member of AA and Al-Anon. Um, <clears throat> if you're new, I, uh, I can't keep you sober for two seconds. Uh, uh, there's absolutely nothing I can do for you. The only thing I can do for you is tell you my story and share some spiritual tools with you that, that, that can do an extraordinary thing. If you've been experiencing the, the cycle of spree and remorse, it can actually avail you of the cycle we have here, which is the cycle of surrender and commitment, where a little surrender can make, create an opportunity for a little commitment, and that little commitment can grow and create the opportunity for a bigger surrender, and it gets bigger and stronger, and it's just as strong as the horrible cycle of spree and remorse. <clears throat> um, a couple of years ago, my wife was walking through our uh, bedroom, and I was talking to a newcomer on the phone, and she heard me say into the phone, let's say the aliens are coming. <laughs> she stopped short. She doesn't want to miss a second of this. I said, look, that's an outside interest. I'm not telling you that the aliens aren't coming. They might very well be coming, but I have one question. Why you? Why have they come for you? Why have they traversed an entire, entire universe for your sorry ass? You have no life. You're 11 days sober. Don't you think they'll call a cop, go to a post office, something, right? Plus, he's sleeping with a Bible on his chest to ward them off. So they're going to traverse the universe, walk into his house and go, Oh no, the Bible, let's go home. <laughs> a couple of years ago, I'm telling this story at a meeting, and the guy in the story walks into the meeting. And I'm watching the guy, you know. I'm watching him while I'm telling the story, and he starts laughing, and he goes, Oh, no. <laughs> I saw the horrible memory come, come through to him. 
If you're new and the aliens are coming for you, welcome to AA. Welcome home. Thanks so much for letting me talk more than once tonight. Once again, like I said on the beginning of this episode, if you want to pay your respects to Scott, I will have a link in the show notes, um, scottredmond.net, and you can go there and make some comments, and his family will see that, and may God, or excuse me, may Scott rest in peace, and I hope to see him at the big meeting in the sky one of these days. Thank you, Scott, for your service. All right, now on to a little, I say a little bit, uh, this is actually a lot of listener feedback, okay? I've been traveling, and so um, I got to catch up on some here. I don't have to catch up on some here, but I want to catch up on some here. So this is a little bit of an extended version of listener feedback, but sit back, enjoy, and remember, folks, we don't want you sharing your gossip or your toothbrush, but we would love you sharing this episode with a friend or family member. It may be just what they need today. Pause your device and hit that share button and get it on over to them. All right. Paul writes in and Paul says, Hey, John, I really appreciated Earl H's talk. He's talking about an episode from a couple, three weeks ago now. He says, what a journey that man has had and what an inspiration he is. Great choice to put him on the podcast. Here, let me give you my two cents on my uh, sobriety, John. He says, desperation led me into AA, which led me to good sponsorship and the steps. The steps led me to meditation. Meditation led me to a relationship with the spirit of the universe. And she has brought me serenity, unselfish love for my fellow human beings, and the desire to be of service. But that being said, I still need to get up every morning and do the work. This is and always will be a program of action for me. Thank you so much, Paul. And I want to mention this also. Paul helps me in communicating with the various uh, inmates that write in. Uh, when I say write in, uh, email in, and um, uh, along with Brad and Dennis and Hannah, just remember, if you're out there, a woman inmate, and you would like somebody to communicate with, Hannah is willing to do that. But anyway, Paul, thank you for your service and everybody else that I just mentioned that helps me in communicating with the inmates, because sometimes it can get a little bit overwhelming. Thank you all. Janice writes in, Janice says, thank you for your podcast. I have I have small children and some days I can't get to a meeting without them, though I prefer to go daily. I bet, man, I remember that when we had small kids. But anyway, she says the podcast helped me fill uh, the gap in between meetings. Your service is much appreciated, Janice. Janice. So Janice, thank you so much for writing in. I uh, appreciate you, appreciate you listening, and I'm glad we can uh, help you supplement your program. Aaron writes in, and Aaron says, John, 
when I first stopped drinking, I listened to every single one of your podcasts. In fact, I have no idea how I even got a hold of you, but somehow you were at the other end of my phone. Your soft, calming voice gave me comfort and your guests told the whole truth. I can't thank you enough for the information that I received. July 14th, 2023 will be four years for me. Good job, Aaron. Four years. That's great. She says, I'll be a wonderful AF <laughs> lifestyle. If you don't know what AF is, just ah, just look it up on your work computer. Just try it there. Anyway, she says, your work reaches many, many people. I remember you were in a guest room in your house, right? Well, that's where I am right now, Ms. Aaron, and helping people. Thank you, John. May, keep, may God keep you healthy and strong to spread your message of sobriety done with pure love. Thank you, Aaron H. Aaron, gosh, that just made my day. Thank you so much for writing in, and congratulations once again on your four years, your quattro años. Scott writes in and Scott says, I have a podcast now, which, oh yeah, I remember Scott. I have a podcast now, which I'm listening to, uh, which I have a podcast now and listening to yours in jail really motivated me to do such. I, in a couple of months, I've had guests from 15 states, uh, two from British Columbia, two from London, and last week, Emma from Belfast, Ireland came on. Thank you for everything you do, John. I would love to chat sometime. Not sure if you do appearances on other podcasts, but the door is always open for you, Scott M. And the name of his podcast, if you want to go check it out, is the Sober Heathen Podcast. <laughs> I like that. The Sober Heathen Podcast. And uh, we're kind of going back and forth in email uh, right now. And I may be on his uh, uh, podcast here eventually. But thanks for writing in, Scott. Joshua writes in and Josh says, Hi, John M. My name is Joshua G. I'm from Connecticut. A little bit about me. I was released from prison in the Connecticut Department of Corrections on... April 5th of 2023. I'm currently in a work release halfway house. I attended meetings on a regular basis during the week in person and on Zoom. The Sober Speak podcast was my meeting in prison daily. I must have listened to every episode. Big shout out to Earl H., Gary K., and countless other speakers for helping me understand recovery clearly. Sober Speak and your speakers greatly helped expand my knowledge of the program. I had tried my entire life to grasp onto recovery and stay, uh, yet never was truly ready. My first meeting was at the age of 18, and I will be 37 this year. I currently have one year and three months and eight days sober. That's great. That is fantastic, Joshua. I'm off to a meeting right now. I'm glad you enjoyed your vacation with your family. Oh, he's talking about an email I sent out. Have a blessed and more. Uh, have a blessed weekend. Hope to hear from you soon, your friend Josh. Well, as you know, I replied to you, Josh, and uh, it's so cool. Oh, man, that is so cool. So, so, so cool. Uh, keep up the good work and keep doing what you're doing, my friend. Uh, it was good to hear from you. 
Dave writes in as Dave M. And he said, hi, John, big smiley face. Just wanted to drop a line of sincere gratitude. I'm a fairly new listener and I'm 26 days sober and I'm getting a lot out of it. For three and a half years, I have struggled with the alcoholism diagnosis as nothing crazy happens when I drink, but the mental health is insufferable. So I conveniently thought my problem more psychological than alcoholic. Your recent talk with David G settled that for me as David really hones in on the mental uh, illness aspect of the disease. I heard it on the way to a meeting last night and it made so much more uh, and I so much more connected to everybody when I got there. This was an important moment in my recovery journey, and I'd love to share my thanks with David personally one day. Thanks again, mate. Blessings from down under, Dave. And well, crikey, Dave, that's fantastic. And uh, as you know, I sent an email to David, copied you, and I know you were able to thank him personally, and it's great. Oh, by the way, I just thought about something. David is actually... In September, speaking at a conference, which is near me, and I'm probably going as well. It's called the, I think it's called the the Miracles at Lake Murray, and it's like September 8th and 9th, uh, and it is in Ardmore, Oklahoma. So if you're in that area and you want to see David speak, uh, I think it's great. Uh, oh, and you know what? Or, I mean, just come on by. But anyway, and then Dave actually followed up with another message, and he says, "Oh, and thanks, uh, and thanks for always trying to be funny. Your constant efforts are hilarious." Now that <laughs> isn't that a little bit of a left-handed compliment for <laughs> for trying to be funny. <laughs> Oh, but I get it. It sounds like my kids. Thanks, Dad. Will you quit trying to be funny? Are you trying out some stuff on us that you want to use somewhere else? We're really getting tired of it. But anyway, and then uh, uh, Dave puts a bunch of big uh, uh, laugh out loud smiley faces. Anyway, Dave from Down Under. Crakey, we're glad you uh, uh, wrote in. Thank you very much. Jason, by the way, thank you very much. Oh, thank you all. Oh, thank you very much, Dave. Thank you all. Jason writes in. He says, hello, John. It's been a while since I've written in. Uh, life has been keeping me busy. A blessing for sure. Since my last email, a lot has happened. Some good, some bad. We found out we're going to be first-time grandparents. Yeehaw, Jason. My son celebrated one year of sobriety. I celebrated eight years of sobriety. And we found out that my mother-in-law, whom I, who I who I am close to, oh, has terminal cancer. Needless to say, it's been a roller coaster ride for sure. That uh, though it's though it all um, though it's all good and bad. I know I've kept my head in the program and my heart with God. Sometimes it's hard to keep faith in bad times and rejoice in the good times, but God, but through it all, God is there. Anyways, he said, I just finished listening to your latest episode. Oh, that was uh, Earl H. He was talking about. And I thought, wow, I haven't emailed John in a while. So here's the email. Keep doing what you're doing, brother. Wishing you all the breast, best, not breast. That would be. (laughs) 
better stop there. <laughs> uh, yeah, I just better not say what what's going on. <laughs> P brain, but uh, oh, oh, I'm sorry. I'm I'm off the beaten path here. Uh, keep doing what you're doing, brother. Wishing you all the best your friend in recovery jason well friend in recovery this is john m thank you mr jason i appreciate it wishing you all the best as well karen writes in and she says hi john i just wanted to send my condolences as i heard about charlie p i have been listening to charlie's episodes this week he was such a good human and shared the message so well your recordings will live on thank you uh john for providing the podcast uh kind regards karen well you know karen For those of you who don't know, I think I have announced this on a a recent episode, but Charlie passed, uh, Charlie P., Charlie Parker uh, passed, and uh, there was a lot of comments also in our super secret Facebook group about it, and uh, I appreciate you giving me the condolences, but the condolences really need to go to his immediate family. I just feel honored that um, um, I was able to spend quite a bit of time with Charlie. And the last time we spoke, he was driving down the highway in Austin and we had set up some time to do some recording. And he said um, something to the effect of, I said, well, let's get that scheduled. And he said, well, we better hurry, Uh, you know, tongue in cheek because he knew he didn't have much time left. And Um, I regret to say that both of us had to cancel on that particular Monday night where I had him set up to record, and I never got to get that final recording, and I just wanted to do so, and uh, um, um, I'm sad about that. However, Charlie left a great legacy, and um, uh, I I know his teachings, his recordings, uh, everything that he put out there throughout the years are going to live on. But thank you, Karen. I appreciate it. Debbie writes in, and Debbie says, John, I wanted to thank you for your talk, Extravagant Promises. You were so open and transparent. She's talking about... um, uh, something I did, uh, it was called Extravagant Promises. It was basically a, a portion, at least, of my story. She said, I could relate to everything regarding your mom as I grew up with a mother who was ill. She drank, she was later diagnosed with manic depressive, and she died of breast cancer. As a young child, so much of it I did not understand, and my dad drank as well, so I became self-reliant, self-sufficient. I can relate to that, Debbie. She said, my, my mom died in 1977, and I am just starting to deal with the pain and trauma as it was pushed down into that place where it was not talked about. You shared so much uh, love and emotion, John, talking about your mom, and I felt it. I also found listening to Cassandra from ACA, which is another episode we have, uh, I could relate to. I have been sober for 13 years, and I continue to learn and know that I am not alone. God bless Debbie W. from Ottawa, Canada. Thank you. And as you know, I pass your information also on to Miss, uh, I say Cassandra. It's Cassandra, and I, I always get that wrong. But anyway, to Cassandra, thanks for writing in, Debbie. 
Adrian writes in and he says, uh, oh, and the subject line was vacation, but not from the program. <laughs> he said, hi, John. I just wanted to send you some nice thoughts from Sardinian. And then he says, I hope all is well deep in the heart of Texas. And the next podcast is being recorded in the AA studio. And then a big heart and my uh, super best regards, Adrian. And Adrian sent a, a picture of himself uh, and, well, just his, his feed, actually, <laughs> in the sand, uh, looking out over a very lovely uh, Mediterranean scene. I actually had to look it up. I was like, well, where is Sardinian? And do they have a lot of sardines there was the first thing I thought. But anyway, Sardinian, it looked like he was out there in it was a little island out in the middle of nowhere, out in the uh, off of the uh, coast of, oh, what was that? I think it was off the coast of like uh, Italy or something like that. But anyway, uh, I, I'm bad with geography. I'm, I'm probably got that all wrong. But anyway, it looked like he was really having a good time. And I'm, I'm glad Adrian, that you were vacationing, but not from the program. Good to hear from you again, my friend. Michelle DMs on the IG. She says, I love the podcast, especially in between meetings. I listened to the ACA podcast. That's the one with Cassandra on my flight home from vacation. It was lovely. I started working in AC program before, but then I got into AA. Well, I sent that message on to uh, Cassandra, Michelle, and uh, I'm glad we're able to, uh, once again, uh, like the rest of the listeners, supplement their program. Cody writes in and the subject line is thanks and appreciation. Cody says, thank you. Thank you for a good podcast, a helping voice, words, and an encouraging show. It helps me more than you know. Thanks again, Cody. Yeah, you know, we don't really, we're not talking about uh, politics here. We're not talking about religion. We just want to give you some good spiritual help uh, to help you feel uh, better about yourself and your relationship with God and the world around you, and then go out and take action and take that good feeling out to other people. I hope I'm phrasing that right, but you get the idea. Thanks, Cody. Jonathan DMs on the Insta as well. He says, I listen to your show every morning on my way into work. It helps motivate me to keep my sobriety going. All right, well, Jonathan, you are going to get to hear your message read uh, as you're going to work here one of these days, and I appreciate you listening in. Julie writes in and Julie says, hi, John, thanks for accepting the request to join the Facebook group, the super secret Facebook group. What? Of course, Julie, the pleasure, the pleasure is all mine. And we are honored to have you in there. A friend of mine forwarded me several of the women's episodes on Sober Speak. Uh, to me for a recent road trip. They helped me to pass the miles in the car by myself and keep me out of my head. I currently live in South Bend, Indiana, in the area I originally grew, grew up in. I moved back here four years ago after almost 25 years of living in the Dallas area. I loved hearing all of the familiar places and rows uh, during the talks of KDP, Carol L., and Debbie L.'s recording, if I'm remembering them right. 
She says, on another note, I'm happy to share that God willing, I will wake up tomorrow with three years of continuous sobriety. Yeehaw, Julie, good for you. That is fantastic. Fantastic. That Three years, my goodness. Whew. Uh, who would have thunk, right? So anyway, uh, thanks for writing in. All right, last but not least here. I told you it was a long listener feedback today. John writes in, and John says, now I don't know if this is a misspelling or a, a typo, or he's doing this on purpose. It says, Ola John, O-L-A. Anyway, he says, a couple weeks late on the update, but I'm grateful to say I took my four-month chip, and I am halfway to five months. So he's at four and a half months. I really appreciate your detailed uh, on-air response to my last email. When I hit three months and in the and in the last, while since it hasn't even been a thought of, I've been here before. It's all just been a different experience as a result of, quote, doing the whole deal, unquote, to the best of my ability, similar to similar to how you described. I'm back on the road working like I usually do. Last winter, I took a break from working on the road to work at home and go through the steps. The promise of intuitively knowing how to handle things with you to baffle us couldn't be more true for me today. When I'm working away, I stay in a camper, which always used to be the perfect place for me to isolate and get loaded. Every time I went to a different town city, it was the perfect excuse to stop going to meetings as nobody was expecting me. I've worked in two different cities over the last six weeks, and I have immediately connected to the local fellowships. That's the way to do it. He says, I have been an amazing, uh, uh, I ha- it has been an amazing experience going to all sorts of different meetings, meeting different people, being a newcomer or somebody with a solid message, uh, be it a newcomer or, or somebody with a solid message of recovery. Yeah. And you know, I used to do the same thing, John. I used to travel like uh, I've literally been in every state in the United States, except for two, South Dakota and Montana. And I, and I plan to uh, check those off the list. There was never any business going on in those areas is what it came down to. But anyway, I used to go to different meetings and experience different things. And I'm glad you're doing that. He says, I'm looking at my work as an opportunity to completely experience recovery and connections to others in a whole new way. You got it, John. Whereas only five months after going in and out of AA for four years, I had myself convinced that I just couldn't do this type of work anymore more that it didn't work for me when in reality the only thing wasn't working for me was the way I was working my recovery yeah and I had a similar experience so I was a imagine this I was a bartender before I got sober and I thought I couldn't do that work but when I went back to school and I got my degree it was a great way to make money and I was in a place of neutrality where I was concerned now if you're new out there don't take that and run with it uh, especially if you are shaky like it talks about in the big book but in my particular case, it happened to work for me. Anyway, says the main reason I'm writing to you now is that I'm going to camp out, round up in Kamloops, uh, British Columbia, Canada this coming weekend. I'm also looking over the schedule and I can't help but wonder if the John M. that is speaking on Sunday morning is you. Wouldn't that be flipping cool? Wishing that you 
continue to move into the sunlight, John D. Well, that's not me. <laughs> but I'm sure that the other John M was absolutely spectacular and you got the message that you needed to get. There's a few of us John M's out there, I got a feeling anyway. All right, everybody, that is Uno Mas episode in the books. Um, keep coming back. It works if it, if you if you work it. And then may God bless you and keep you until then. I take this one week, one semana at a time. And I hope to be back next week. You never can you never can tell. Um, and uh, until then, love y'all. Have a safe and sober week. Amen. Or not amen. Goodbye. <laughs> well, I guess you could say amen. Yeah, that's kind of like, okay, so you, so I would pray. I'm doing a little praying hands right now. We'll just go. Uh, uh, dear God, I pray that we all may have a safe and sober week. Amen. There, that worked. See ya.